Hello, and welcome back to the God Story Podcast, episode 24. I'm Brent Siddle. Today's guest is an entrepreneur and host of the Biblical Courage podcast. He's led Bible studies in New York City for more than 15 years, and he's the founder and president of Justice NYC, a nonprofit that equips Christian men to reduce poverty and exploitation by promoting biblical sexual ethics. His name is Paul Horrocks, and together with his father, David Horrocks, he's the author of a new book called Tough Guys of the Bible, Learn the Traits of Courageous Men Who Truly Follow God. And Tough Guys of the Bible is published by Anovo Publishing, and I'm delighted to uh, have Paul on the program with us today. Hi, Paul. Hi, Brent. Thanks so much for having me on. Are you a native of New York City? I grew up in New Jersey, uh, although on the southern side, but lived, lived in New York for about 20 years. Okay, so you're an appropriate person to write a book about tough guys then, possibly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. Why do we need tough and courageous men like the men in the Bible? Well, uh, the point I make is that, hey, our nation, and, and I'm talking this from a U.S. perspective, although this may be true of other nations as well, uh, we're moving further and further from the Bible. And what's happening is that this blessing that we had from God, when we were living out of these biblical um, values, it's going away. Our nation is declining and it's declining in many different areas. People think uh, morality is declining. Even people who aren't religious think morality is declining. Uh, and we're seeing just all these challenges in our nation. So we need courageous men to challenge us to turn back to God and live the way that, uh, that we have in the past. Well, how and why is American culture, and I think indeed Western culture generally, moving further and further away from the Bible and Judeo-Christian morality? Yeah, I mean, you certainly see it in surveys that in the U.S. they survey how many people identify as Christian. That number continues to decline. And when you actually dig into, well, how many people not just identify as Christian and sort of raise their hand, how many people truly believe the main tenets of the Bible. It's a really small number. And some people have done some surveys that it, it may be even as low as 6% in the U.S. So it really could be a, a very small group of people. So we're seeing this decline and this move away. And there's, of course, lots of reasons for it. But one of the points that, uh, one of the things that we just believe is that we're not challenging men in particular to live out the commands of the Bible. And we're not showing them what does it mean to really have courage and why that's interesting and compelling. When you have courage, it's, a, it's much more interesting than certainly the media portrayal of Christians, which is unfortunately that we're weak and stupid and ineffective. Whereas when you look at these men in the Bible, they're so courageous and so effective that uh, it's much more impressive and much more interesting to them. Well, I'm, I'm interested too in modern media portrayals of men, any men. Uh, why, why do the media tend to portray men as mean incompetent or weak or stupid? Yeah, I think the one of the reasons they do it for Christian men is they're trying to discourage people from being Christians. They want to drive men away from uh, the Christian religion. In terms of why they do it in general, if you look uh, certainly in the U.S. at television shows in the 50s and the 60s, the portrayal of men and fathers was very positive. And now every television show seems to want to make the father a bumbling idiot. Why are they doing that? At some level, uh, I think it's a disordering of creation. Uh, if you truly believe that our culture is being influenced by Satan, Satan wants to disorder creation. And this idea that 
men should lead and, and men should be strong and capable uh, by portraying them as bumbling idiots in all these television shows, you're really uh, disordering what God designed. And if we do get tough men portrayed in Hollywood, they're generally Rambo-style figures without much brain <laughs> or, or spiritual uh, input. That's true. They don't have a lot of brain. They're not men who tend to be great fathers, uh, great husbands. A lot of times they're portrayed as loners who have had broken relationships and so forth. But yeah, this idea of people that are just solid men who are day in, day out, taking care of their family, taking care of their spouse, taking care of their community. There's not a lot of that portrayed in the media. And so by tough guys, you mean men in the Bible who were, I suppose, mentally or spiritually tough and resilient, but not always physically tough. Exactly. These are men who had the courage to follow God when it was difficult. And so they, we have no idea the physique of some of these men in the Bible. We don't know if the Apostle Paul was 6'2 or 5'1, or and, and we don't know how strong he was, uh, but we know he was mentally tough. When he was faced with these decisions about, do I follow God or do I follow the culture? He followed God and he followed God and endured terrible beatings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and just all of these terrible things happened to him. And yet he continued to follow God. So we know that this is somebody who has incredible courage and incredible mental strength. Mm. And Jesus too, the Lord Jesus Christ, a tough guy. Absolutely. We talk about through the book, how he really has all the characteristics of the tough guys and I know a lot of times uh, there's an impression that, hey, the God of the Old Testament was a God of judgment and he was angry. And then in the New Testament, uh, Jesus comes back as God's hippie alter ego and he's just all about peace and love. But when you really read the, the New Testament, he says some very aggressive things to people. Uh, and he puts himself in very difficult circumstances where he uh, makes people angry, not even at the end of um, uh, right before he was uh, crucified. But even prior to that, there were lots of people who wanted to kill him. So he was saying things that were so upsetting to people that they wanted to take his life. So this is a, uh, a portrayal of a man and, and a man who was absolutely courageous, even in the face of intense uh, antagonism towards him. Yes, he had a, uh, He certainly called people out, didn't he? He spent a lot of time uh, criticizing and being very outspoken. But he also had a kind of gentle graciousness about him as well, I think. Absolutely. His compassion. If we look at his compassion with Peter, that, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then when he does it, he graciously brings him back in and still makes him a big part of his discipleship going forward, a big part of his church. And so, yeah, we see that over and over again, that even people that don't treat Jesus well, he's willing to accept them back in and forgive them. One of my favorite men in the Bible is Daniel. I just love Daniel. How did he how does he take a stand for God? So Daniel's incredible in that he speaks the truth directly. And so he is a slave in a foreign land, and he interprets some dreams for Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon at the time. And what's interesting about him is that he goes above and beyond what he has to do. Uh, so there's there's two dream interpretations with Nebuchadnezzar, but when you read this second dream interpretation, it's a dream that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be pushed out into the fields and he's going to eat in the grass like an animal for seven periods of time. And he says to him at the end of that interpretation, stop your sinning, take care of the poor, give justice to the poor so that perhaps this won't happen to you. 
So here he is saying, first of all, he's giving this interpretation to this king that you're going to go eat like a beast of the field. That's not a lot of you know, something that really kings want to hear, right? And you don't want to hear that about your kingdom. Uh, but on top of that, he's trying to save him from that. And he didn't have to try to do that. He could have just said, you know what? He's this guy conquered my nation. Let him go eat grass in the field. And, and I don't really care what happens to him. But even there, he had compassion on Nebuchadnezzar and said, basically, fear the Lord, give justice to the poor so that perhaps this won't happen. Yes, and Nebuchadnezzar, there's another tough guy of the Bible. They were quite young guys, those two. I think they're about 19 and 24 when that happened. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel? Mm. Yes, I don't know the specific. They were young young testosterone-laden men. (laughs) But they were definitely, Daniel was definitely young because he's still around many years later when the uh, Medes and Persians take Mm. over the uh, kingdom of Babylon. So, yeah, Mm. without a doubt, um, they were young at that time. Yeah. So how can uh, Christian men then learn from these guys like Daniel and the Lord Jesus and Elijah is another fantastic one. How, how can we learn to speak the truth directly? Yeah, I think when you read what they did, when they spoke the truth, when it was incredibly difficult, when there was incredible risk that they took that somebody might kill them, somebody might imprison them, somebody might take things away from them. I think that's something that we can learn and say, hey, are we willing to speak the truth of the Bible when it's difficult and it might be costly? And throughout the Bible, sometimes when people speak the truth of the Bible, uh, what happens is God provides for them, and they don't end up having a a sacrifice. They took the risk, but there was no sacrifice. Other times, if you look at, for example, Stephen, he spoke the truth, and he was stoned to death, and he was the first Christian martyr. So the outcome may be uh, really positive here on earth, or it may be really negative, but the point is they took the risk, and Christian men should be willing to do that as well. Yeah, has the culture discouraged men generally from taking risks and acting courageously? I think so. There's certainly an attack on men. I mean, when you look at men in general, uh, there's such criticism of men. You're seeing lots of things like men are, um, fewer of them are going to college. Fewer of them are, are doing things like that. They're sort of getting left behind in our culture. But also there's this idea of toxic masculinity. Is, is that a bad thing? And w- without a doubt, there's great examples of men behaving badly and, and not treating women particularly well. And certainly we should address that as Christians. But this idea of being a masculine man, one of the points that we make is, look, when you follow God, it's incredibly masculine because that's what he designed you to do. And when you do that, you're probably going to still look masculine in the eyes of the culture as well. And that kind of masculinity, I think we should aspire to rather than say, hey, this is something that's, that's bad for men. What does a real biblical masculinity look like, Paul? It really looks like fearing God more than men. And that's one of the characteristics we see of these tough guys is that over and over again, when they're faced with a difficult decision about do I follow the culture or do I follow the Bible, they end up following the Bible or following God's commandments. And that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. But one of the things you see over and over again is that there's no Switzerland with God. You can't sort of be half in, half out. You got to be all in or you got to be all out. The people who are sort of half out are really just all out. And so that's what I would say it really looks like is just fearing God more than men. Does God often choose unlikely men to lead? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about the study of men in the Bible is that The men who lead are not necessarily the people that you would think. 
uh, oftentimes, you know, certainly in ancient cultures, the oldest was often the one who would have been chosen to continue to lead the family. But God doesn't always choose the oldest. Uh, when we look at uh, the story of Gideon, for example, Gideon has this incredible story of taking on uh, 135,000 Amalekites with 300 men. And he does that despite the fact that he comes from the smallest clan, I guess, in his tribe. And I, he was one of the younger sons as well. And so he's not somebody that you would immediately look to in that culture and say, this is the person who's going to lead. Yet God chose him to lead in this incredible battle of 300 men versus 135,000. And he's incredibly successful. So, you know, that's certainly an example of that. Moses is 80 when he's called. Mm. And so we wouldn't think today in our culture of an 80-year-old coming and spending the next 40 years leading people, and yet Moses is 80 when he's called. And so you see stories like that over and over. Even King David was the youngest of um, Jesse's sons. Where did the tough guys get the courage to take those risks? Yeah, so one of the things that we see is that they're in prayer all the time, that they have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so by constantly being uh, in prayer with God, he gives them the strength to take on these risks. When we talked about Elijah earlier, Elijah goes and confronts Ahab, who's trying to kill him. He's trying to find him so he can kill him because uh, Elijah has said there's not going to be rain for three and a half years, and it was basically a famine in the land. And yet he goes and confronts him. How did he have that courage to confront him? Because he, was, he really had strength from the Holy Spirit, he had strength from God's Spirit. And so we see that over and over again. We see the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David after he was anointed, and he had this strength. And so it's one of the reasons that these tough guys are able to do these incredible things, because they truly rely on God, and they spend time. Even when we look at the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah went and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. He left a very cushy job with the king of Persia. But prior to asking the king, hey, can I go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He spent a bunch of time in prayer and fasting, getting the spiritual strength so he'd be ready for this mission. How can Christian men then cultivate courage, Paul? What are some of the things we can do? So I think there's these spiritual disciplines that make sense, and it's really getting back to the basics, the things that you think about when you're discipling people. Are we spending time reading the Bible? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we spending time building relationships with other Christian men? And that could be as part of a community group, or it could be an ad hoc type of way. But are we doing that? Are we going to church? Are we uh, taking risks in little things? Are, are we tithing? And that seems like a little thing, but if you're willing to do something like that and take this risk to give this um, tithe to God, even when it's difficult, it's a way to build spiritual strength to take on larger tasks. And, and it's a point that we make is that if you're thinking about, hey, would I be in a, a position that if I was faced with something really difficult, and, and I have a friend who, um, who grew up in Germany, we talk about in World War II, if we were a guard in the concentration camp, would we have said no to the order to take people to the gas chamber? And we want to believe that we would have said no, but you're not really sure until you're there, right? Until you're actually put in that circumstance. But what I do know is that if I'm not willing to take small risks for God, there is no way I'm going to take a big risk, like giving up my life in those circumstances. So that's another way that you can build up spiritual strength is that take these small risks, follow God when it's difficult in these small circumstances where maybe the risk is just social risk or economic risk. Uh, 
And if you do that, you're going to build up spiritual strength to take on those bigger risks. Yes, I love the stories, some of the stories you include in the book of, of some of the modern tough guys, uh, particularly the story about Chris. Do you, do you remember that one? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, Chris it's a great is a story. It's a great, it's a great story. So what we try to do in the book is tell some stories of men from the Bible and they're you know, amazing stories, but most likely I'm probably never going to be asked by God to call down fire from heaven like Elijah. Right? And so uh, we put more modern stories in there and many are people from my dad's ministry. And so Chris has this amazing story where uh, Chris had a family with five kids. He was the only person who uh, was the breadwinner in the company or in the family. And one day he went to work. He was part of a sales team and the owner of the company said, look, we're going to change our billing practice and effectively have a deceptive billing practice. We're going to overbill our clients. And so Chris had to decide. And so he went home and he prayed and he spent time and he went back the next day. And he said, look, I love your company. I love your products. I love representing you. But what you're doing, I can't be part of. And I don't think you should do it because you're going to lose integrity. And it turned out in that circumstance, what happened was that the boss changed his mind. So Chris was willing to lose his job. He was willing to walk away and he believed that God could provide for him some other way. But when he challenged the boss, the boss changed his mind and he didn't go forward with this deceptive billing practice. And so a couple of things about that story that are so powerful to me. One is Chris would witness to people at work. And so here he's in this circumstance where it was a test of his faith. They're looking to him to say, hey, is your faith real? You're telling us to follow God. But now that you're maybe going to have to sacrifice something like your job in order to follow God's commands not to lie, are you going to follow God's commands or are you going to keep your job? And so by challenging this boss and his willingness to walk away, he was really confirming his witness to all these other people. But the other thing about that story that is so amazing to me is that Chris was a blessing to all those other people, because when he spoke up and challenged the boss and the boss decided to change his mind and not implement this deceptive billing practice, it meant that all the other salespeople didn't have to lie. So because Chris took the risk and Chris was willing to speak up and he put his job on the line, he blessed all these other people who worked at the company. And so it's just an amazing story. And Chris is somebody you wouldn't know. He's, he's not um, anyone famous, but he's an incredible story of courage that we should see every single day in the Christian community of men just following God when it's difficult. Yeah. What are some of the other ways that men today can speak the truth directly to those in power? Yeah, I think one of the things we're seeing right now, uh, certainly in the U.S., There's a lot of people challenging their school boards and saying, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? How come you're teaching our children these things that are so in opposition to Christianity, things that we think are harmful to them? So going and challenging them and saying, this is not right. This is not a good thing. And it needs to change. You need to stop indoctrinating our kids and turning them away from our religion. So I think that's an example of where we need to see more and more Christians speaking up because we're going to lose the next generation Uh, We've certainly already lost some. You're seeing certainly in the U.S., uh, younger people in their 20s are turning from the church because they have been indoctrinated by their schools uh, to basically hate Christianity. And so we need to certainly challenge that. And I think also just, you know, throughout our culture, there's plenty of other opportunities where we need to speak up. Uh, One that, that I think is really important is just the area of God's design for sex. Uh, We're seeing that certainly 
sexual sin leads to all these negative consequences. When you look at things like poverty, when you look at things like homelessness, substance abuse, uh, these things are all driven by sexual sin in the following way, that when men treat women like sex objects, get them pregnant and then abandon them, they're effectively turning those kids into orphans. And so the kids who grow up in single parent homes effectively as an orphan, uh, they're much more likely to be in poverty and homeless and, and have substance abuse problems, end up in prison. And so the Christian community needs to speak up and say, hey, this is not good. This culture we have of romanticizing uh, this, this sexual behavior that is in opposition to God is not good and it needs to stop. And whether that's on our, uh, in our media, whether that is in, in our schools, wherever it is, more Christian men need to speak up about that. Has much of the church caved in to modern culture? It, it, it's interesting. I My story is I grew up in the church. My dad's a minister. And then I walked away from it for more than a decade, for really all of my 20s. And then I came back to it. And when I came back to it, I came back to it in New York City. And my observation in New York City, and, and really in Manhattan in particular, is that there are a lot of churches that are what you would call seeker-friendly. They want to be welcoming to people, and that's really their goal. But in being seeker-friendly, they're unwilling to talk about the areas where the Bible and the culture come into conflict. Or if they talk about them, they talk about them in such a light way that you wouldn't really know what they're saying, or you wouldn't really understand that there's just a distinction between the culture and the Bible. And so just my observation is that, yeah, you have all these churches that are saying, we're going to attract more people by basically hiding or de-emphasizing the parts of the Bible that are unpopular. And as a result, again, this is my observation in the city of New York, lots of people who attend church, their lives don't look any different than the culture. And nobody's challenging. So as I talk to other people around the country, they tell me similar things. It's certainly the data in terms of the reduction in the number of people who identify as Christian and the number of people who really believe the core tenets of the Bible. As we see that going down, it feels like that's happening everywhere. But certainly, uh, my experience in New York City is that we did see churches basically saying, hey, we want to be popular with the culture. And the church, presumably, has softened down, or those churches have softened down the gospel. Absolutely. And when we talk about speaking the truth directly, and we talk about the words of Jesus, they're so direct. Uh, Jesus didn't just talk about forgiveness and love. He talked about the realities of sin. He talked about the realities of hell and how horrible it was and said, hey, it's not going to go well for you if you don't follow my commands. So without a doubt, I feel like uh, my experience coming back to church is that wasn't talked about. They didn't talk about, hey, there are consequences to ignoring God's commands, and they're really terrible consequences, and you don't want to end up there. And so they really have just emphasized the, the positive without really talking about the negative. How do we challenge false teaching in the church? Because this is a big one for, for folk these days. And you've got a, I think you've got a wonderful story in the book about a pastor who challenged false teaching in his denomination. Can you share that with us? Yeah. So um, it's a story of Doug. And Doug was part of a big denomination and he had a church. And he started to notice that within his denomination, some of the people who were in uh, more senior positions were really uh, questioning the truth of the Bible. Uh, and so he started talking to other churches and tried to build a coalition of churches to say, hey, we need to push back on this. And so for a time, his attitude was, hey, I can really teach people in my church about the Bible. 
I'm not being forced to teach these heresies. And I think a group of us can try to influence this denomination to end the heresies and return to the Bible. He did that for a period of time, but eventually the, um, basically the heresies won. And it just became so rampant throughout his denomination that he decided, look, we have to leave. And a group of people in his congregation said, we want to go too. We want to form another church where we're outside of this denomination, where we can speak, uh, teach the truth of the Bible. And so he did that. And part of what I talk about in the book is that that's very, very difficult. If you've ever been involved in a church plant, it's kind of like starting a business where most of them fail. And so planning a church does not usually go very well. And his story is incredible because God did everything. Even within the first year, without any outside donations, they were able to meet their budget. In a short period of time, they were able to get a building and to grow. They've been able to give money to missions and tithe outside their church right from the beginning. And so it's just an incredible story of he was faithful. He trusted God. He, he tried really hard to change the hearts of people in his denomination. But when it just seemed impossible and he left, God provided everything that he needed. And he's been able to bless all these people and teach them the truth of the Bible for a lot of years. Mm, fantastic story, isn't it? God's faithfulness when we stand up and when we don't compromise. Tell us a bit about the, uh, the Biblical Courage podcast. Where can people find it? Yes. So you can go to biblicalcourage.com and it's really an extension of the book. And one of the things, and this really goes back to my experience coming back to the church, is that when I came back to the church, there was this emphasis on, again, the positive parts of the Bible and not on the challenging parts of being a Christian. Uh, there, and what I talk about is it almost felt like they were preaching a powerless gospel, one that lacked the ability to truly change people. And so the Biblical Courage podcast is really about highlighting people who have courage. And what I want to do is just tell these stories. And they're stories of everyday people, similar to the story I told about Chris and what he had to do in terms of taking a risk you know, for his job. And so we've had people on who are missionaries, who have gone to places that are really difficult and have been in very difficult circumstances where, in some cases, their life may be threatened, or just they've taken tremendous economic risk and walked away from terrific careers in order to do other things. Uh, we've had other people on who uh, had, had one person on who was actually kidnapped by a warlord in Afghanistan, an incredible story. And we've also had people on just telling stories of courage from the Bible. In other words, what are the principles that we can learn from Abraham or the Apostle Paul or other people like that? I want to ask you just before we close about Justice NYC, how, how did that develop out of your ministry? Yeah, so... I uh, was part of a um, mercy and justice organization. I was on the board and we supported many different organizations in New York City that dealt with uh, poverty and homelessness and substance abuse and so forth. And one of the things that I observed is that throughout all these different ministries, uh, when you look at them, the root cause is very often sexual sin or it's sexual sin is a big contributor. And it's a little bit of what I was talking about earlier, where when men treat women like sex objects, get them pregnant and then abandon them, you start to see all these negative consequences of that, the higher poverty rates and incarceration rates and homelessness and so forth. And so my observation, again, in New York City is that there was a whole bunch of people saying, hey, let's go out and do these mercy and justice projects where we are trying to take care of um, poor people and try to help get people out of poverty. 
But at the same time, we weren't doing anything to prevent them from getting to poverty by talking about these root causes of sexual sin. And so the hypocrisy of that is sort of, hey, I'm going to go serve at a homeless shelter today, and then I'm going to go home and sleep with my girlfriend. And you go, wait a minute, when you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're contributing to this culture that says, hey, sex outside of marriage is just fine. And it leads to all these children growing up in broken homes. So I started it to really explain this to men that look, your behavior and what you're doing has real world consequences. And you can't just say uh, my, that, that I'm going to continue to do this, but I'm not really hurting anyone. You are hurting people if you're contributing to that culture. And so what can we do to challenge men specifically within the church to live out what the Bible says? I mean, right now, challenging men outside the church is a whole different challenge uh, because, you know, they don't know Jesus yet. But people within the church, why aren't we challenging them to make sure their lives look differently and make sure they're blessing the culture with uh, the way that they're living? So that's really why I started it. And it was interesting as I would go and, and run these events. Uh, men would say to me, I never thought about some of these things. And if you take an issue like pornography, for example, we talked about, hey, there are women on the other side of the screen. And a lot of times those women don't want to be there. Maybe they were kidnapped. Maybe they were persuaded. Maybe they're on drugs or maybe just things weren't going well in their life. And they opted into this. But very often you didn't get to that place because something good happened in your life. And when we're consuming pornography, we're contributing to that. And once the men started to understand, wow, there's a, there's a person on the other side of the screen. It's not just this picture. It's actually a person and they have a life and they're made in the image of God. It started to change their perspectives about doing things like consuming pornography. Paul Horrocks, thank you very much. It's been a great discussion. Paul Horrocks uh, with his father, David Horrocks, the authors of this new book from Inovo Publishing in the States called Tough Guys of the Bible. Learn the traits of courageous men who truly follow God. Paul, thank you for your time this morning and every blessing for your ministry. Thanks so much for having me on, Brent. It's a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.